Do you need a spark to jumpstart your business, your career, or your life? Well, I've got just the person for you on the show today. Her name is Tamara Gandor, and she's an author, a podcaster, a keynote speaker, and the founder of an innovation training company. The name of it is Launch Street. And she used to believe that innovation was the domain of a select few exclusive to certain industries or relegated to a specific job role. But as Tamara discovered in her 25 years of work and research, everybody has the capacity to innovate. It's a person's unique innovation style that can transform inertia into innovation. Sound good? Are you excited? Are you motivated to hear from somebody who is on the cutting edge and wants to put you and your business back on the cutting edge? Well, we've got that for you today on this interview on the Inside BS Show. Welcome, folks. We are here with another Inside BS interview show today, and it is my honor to have with us Tamara Gandor, and she is going to help us really make sure we're unstuck, make sure that you started your business the right way. Or if you're thinking of starting your business, you know exactly what you're doing. You heard me introduce her, but she's got a great new book that's coming out right now as you're listening to this. It's titled Innovation is Everybody's Business. Tamara, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Dave, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much. I have been looking forward to interviewing you ever since I read through your bio and listened to your podcast. Oh, and the you. podcast that really caught my eye recently was the podcast about getting unstuck. I mean, right now, as we're recording this, so many of us are working from home and yeah. we, we are facing really challenging times because we've got like a killer virus circulating and there's, there's all kinds of adversity being thrown our way. So talk to me about getting unstuck what first of all i you know stuck for me means that i have a hundred ideas and i don't know where to start but stuck for other people may mean they don't have enough ideas what's your definition of being stuck and how do we get unstuck yeah well i'd say david i i i vacillate between i don't have any ideas to have i have a million and i don't know what to do and i think that either way what that leads to is paralysis Right. Um, and here's what I hear from people time and time again, particularly in the situation that we're in where 2020 has just turned into a 1980s Armageddon movie that none of us expected, right? So here's what I hear from people. What I hear is um, I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know how to move forward. And I think on top of that, the stuck really comes in with, I feel like I'm white knuckling, but I'm not getting very far. My head is down, I'm trying to get it done but I'm not getting far. And you know, I'll hear things like, I don't have time to innovate. I don't have time to think differently. But you know, and you probably heard this in that podcast and, and I've seen it to be true time and time again. The reality is innovation is what's gonna get us unstuck and out of that kind of sinking feeling that we can be in. And like I said, that sinking feeling may just be like, oh my gosh, look at my to-do list, it's insane. Mm -hmm. to, to, I don't know how to move my business forward in a way that, it, that allows it to pivot to match what's happening in the world and what my customers need. So I think it happens on the personal level and I think it happens on the business level. And ultimately the output of that is either paralysis and nothing gets done or I'm checking off all my to-do, all my to-dos, but I'm not getting anywhere. Okay, so I love speed and innovation. And my philosophy is 
the faster you move, the more mistakes you make, the faster you can correct them and get on the right track rather than be slow and deliberative and then make a mistake and be slow and deliberative about correcting it. What's your philosophy regarding speed and innovation? How do we innovate faster? Yeah, so I have two thoughts about that. And actually, it's so interesting that you asked about that because that's been a big topic of conversation in our membership tribe about how do I plan when the future is uncertain, which really means how do I move forward and create a future when I'm not, the end goal is a little bit unclear, right? So let me just start with a bigger picture thing, Dave, and that is that now we have more time to innovate and make mistakes than we've actually we have more permission to make mistakes than we ever had because all of us are dealing with change. So when I look at the businesses around me and our own business over here at Launch Street, when I see them trying and innovating and maybe getting it right and maybe not getting it right, I'm in it with them. So to all the business owners and senior leaders out there, the first thing I just want you to really think about is you have an opportunity to innovate and adapt and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes in a way that you haven't had in the past or people would ding you for it. So that's just kind of an overarching thing. But Dave, here's the thing I'd say. So we've all heard about agile, lean, like fill in the blank, right? Scrums, whatever. That's all great, but we usually relegate that type of innovation cycles and processes to technology, to new product launches. Here's what I've learned, particularly in times like this. That process of innovation cycles working in four-week increments helps across your entire business. So you can't see it right now because I'd have to move all of my technology to a different side of the wall, but I have my four-week cycle up on the wall, and I have sticky notes in different buckets of all the things that have to get done in the next four weeks. And if it's not in the next four weeks, it's on a parking lot to get to later so that it can get out of my head. So to your point about speed, we mistake throwing stuff at the wall with innovation. And innovation is still focused and clear, but I would encourage all of us, if you want speed, you gotta start thinking in smaller increments. And each, the beauty of it is, Dave, and you know this, each increment builds on the last. So what I learned from this four week cycle will inform what I choose to do next four weeks. And the beauty of that is, I'm moving forward way more informed. I think there's nothing on any time, any year, there's nothing worse than the three year plan that you wait three years to, to analyze. You've wasted right. so much time to make it better, I think. All right. So talk to me about messy progress versus very neat status quo, right? How do we get comfortable with the messiness that, that automatically is thrown off when we innovate? So can I geek out a little bit and get to some? Yeah, yeah. Here? Okay. So here's the thing. We have in our brains these things that keep us from wanting the messiness because that's scary and uncomfortable and new. And there's really, I'll go very high level here, but I go a lot deeper in the book. There's really three things. So one is you've got this thing called the reticular activating system. I think of it as a big brick wall. And that brick wall, its sole job is to only let in what already matches what you already believe and know. It's a little hard to get messy and play in the unknown when you're only going to play in what you know to be true. So you've got that happening. Then you've got this thing called myelin, which is all about making your brain efficient. So it kind of, it's like a, think of it as like if the tracks in your brain are roads, it's like that super slick cement, you know, you get on open road and it's brand new, like, so it makes you efficient. 
And then the big one is, which we've all heard about, is this primal brain, this lizard brain that's like, that wants to keep you safe and comfortable. And it's that voice that's like, don't do it. It's uncomfortable. It'll never work, right? They'll never go for it. I don't know why mine sounds like that, but it does. So I, I think, think mine sounds like that. I think you're the voice in my head. I think that's it. <laughs> don't, babe, don't ever do it. Um, but that voice is very real. And here's the thing. The mistake, I think, the, the narrative that's out there is we'll be fearless. Well, fear is hardwired into us. It's what keeps us safe. It's those three things I just talked about, keeping us comfortable and safe. And in the caveman days, that was great because that messiness, that uncomfortableness could be a saber-toothed tiger in the bushes. Now in the boardroom and on project management and in the office and working from home, it plays tricks on us. So for me, and what I, what I really teach in our programs is not to try to get rid of the fear, but to understand how those things work and then have activities around them to get people over them. So I'll give you one simple one because I know we don't have all the time in the world, but one thing to do to get over this whole, like, I only play with what I already know, right? This kind of RAS is very simple. Just play devil's advocate. Well, what if I'm wrong? What else could be true? Just asking yourself that question and just assuming your initial thought is wrong will open up and allow you to play in the messiness. So my whole feeling is don't eliminate the fear, but find a way to push through it. Great. I love it. Awesome. Awesome advice. Thank you. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the value of bringing fresh eyes into your business to stimulate innovation. One of the things that I've found over the years is when I would bring in somebody from outside my industry into my business to work with me, all of a sudden this whole world opened up and the excitement that I had when I first started the business was back again because it all looked fresh and new. So tell me, tell me about that. How do we find those people and what do we do to incorporate them into our business without being defensive and feeling like, you know, they're going to, they're going to change everything and it's going to blow up. Right. You know, it's so funny, Dave, that you say that because um, I was just talking to someone who's a completely in different industry than me, but has a similar challenge that I do. And their perspective blew my mind. I was like, how did you even think about that? I would have never even, it would have never occurred to me. So I think there's so much beauty in naive intelligence and that intersection of different perspectives. And there's this exercise that we do with our community called playing on the fringes. And let me just give you a snippet of it because this is, I think, the easiest way to get there. Because the question I always have when people say that is, well, who? Who do I talk to? Like, do I talk to the mailman? Do I talk to my neighbor? Do I, like, what's really a valuable person to connect with? And I, frankly, I think any stranger can be valuable. You never know. But my question is always, well, who has a similar problem that you do in a completely different industry? So um, I'll give you an example, right? So this is the story I heard. I haven't proven it, but it's been told in the business world several times now. Southwest Airlines had a turnaround problem. They weren't fast enough, right? And as you know, 15 minutes in the gate could trickle out to hours of delays down the road. So they didn't look at other airlines. Instead, they said, who else has a speed problem? And they said, oh, well, NASCAR, Indy, like those race cars. So they sent the Southwest leadership team to the Indy pits to understand how they worked to actually speed up. They took that knowledge and brought it back to how they, how they um, built the planes on the bottoms for all the tubes to come in, the things that need to happen right at the gate. So that to me is a brilliant kind of example of when you go outside your industry, you learn so much. And the reality is it's really myopic to be in your own thinking. Now, you mentioned something else that's really important, which is defensiveness. 
And that's a challenge, right? Because nobody wants their baby to be called ugly. Nobody wants to, it's kind of, it brings out the yes but in you almost. Um, and that's kind of on us to get over it. That's, that's our problem and our, and our issue. But it is, it's kind of a big one because nobody wants their baby to be called ugly. But you got to go into these situations knowing that they're going to have a perspective you don't. And my, my challenge to all of us in doing that is think of it this way. You don't have to take everything they say, but you need to be open to everything they say and innovate now analyze later take it all in and then go back and actually analyze what they said can i apply to my world and what actually doesn't fit but you know it's hard it's hard for all of us and one of the things i think we struggle with is the different stages of businesses right so when i'm working with someone like in professional services it's a little different than entrepreneurship and professional services getting to that million dollar hurdle usually there's only you and maybe one other person in your practice. And then once you get over the million dollar hurdle, you can bring in some staff, but then to go from 1 million to 3 million or 5 million, the staff has to be completely different. In entrepreneurship, you could get a real good bang out of the gate and get to five, $10 million. And then you realize that you're only growing at 5% and you really could be growing at 50% but right. everybody's wrong. You need a completely different team. So yeah. my question for you on this one is twofold. One, how do you know when you got to surround yourself with different people to really be able to innovate? And then two, how do you go find those people because you haven't done what you need to do? Yeah. So there's two layers to that question. It's such an important one. The first one is um, what I learned the hard way is that the people who are your A players at one level are not your A players at the next level. It's very rare that they move forward with you. It happens sometimes, and that's amazing. It's just not the case. That's not the place where they thrive. That's not the skills that they have, right? It, is, it just doesn't kind of, hasn't been my experience that it works that way. And I think us as owners, out of loyalty and just, frankly, the hassle of having to turn over teams, we hold on a little bit too long, much longer than we should. So I think when you start to feel like you're A players or B players, that's when it's time to really assess, do I have the right team? Here's the thing about innovation though. At every stage, your people have the ability to innovate. Oftentimes they don't think they can because either the job is confined in a way that doesn't allow them or they don't understand what innovation really is or how they contribute to it or how they innovate. So as you know from the book, that book is built on years of understanding how humans innovate and what our natural triggers and styles of innovation are. And we all do it in a very unique way. And in fact, there's, a, there's an assessment on our website that you can go to and actually discover yours. So I wouldn't say that like the first team you started with isn't innovators and the second team is. I think, I think, it's, too, I think it's nuanced. I think the first team doesn't get to the second level because your business has grown and your challenges have changed. But at every level, you can tap into the innovation of your team. And frankly, as a business owner and someone who leads teams, I don't know why you wouldn't. I am paying these people not to just get their job done, but to innovate and contribute to the business. So if you're not tapping the power of innovation on your team, I think you're actually missing out on a ton of potential. I think you're wasting money. I completely agree, completely agree. All right, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the process then. You, said, you mentioned the, the four-week cycle. Describe for us the four-week cycle um, and talk about how you decide what goes in the parking lot and just take us through the whole thing. Yeah. So I will take you through my business because I think that's the, I'm happy to pull back the curtain and kind of share some stuff if that works for you because I think that's the easiest way is kind of in story. Yeah. So, so 
and I'm going to relate it to where we are now because I'm in the thick of it. So uh, going into 2020, we had this incredible platform of online tools, this toolkit. We have this IQ, this innovation assessment of personality that's kind of been validated over years. Right? We have all this stuff. But the reality is our business was mostly live events, workshops, keynotes, team meetings, right? Like things that brought me to people or brought people to me. So as you can imagine, that went away in March. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, welcome to, welcome to my yeah. world. I'm in, this, I'm in the same exact boat. Yeah, the rug got pulled out, right? Financially, business strategy, like all that work I did in December to get ready for 2020, like I just shredded the paper. I was like, well, this is done here, right? So I had to make a decision of what to do and where to go. I've always wanted to move the business online. So the beauty for me in this whole scenario has been, wow, now I have the room to do it because I'm not traveling like I should be, right? But, but that's a really daunting task to pivot the business. So I'm at point A, rug got pulled out, and I need to get to Z, this like thriving online platform, this membership, this community. That's where I want to go. But if I had just worked to that, I'd never get there because it's just too big and too far. So we broke it down. I said, okay, what do we need to do to A, move the needle forward, get momentum, and B, give us data that will help us make decisions? Because that's the other part. It's not just about actions. It's about the data. So we started by doing this thing called a founder's launch. And that basically means we launched it to an internal community one time, get in before everybody else. Um, because we knew and we marketed to them, but only them, right? It wasn't, this wasn't big because we knew these are the people that, hey, if they buy, we're onto something. If they buy and buy, and we didn't make it cheap, right? Because we didn't want this to be a discount sale. We said, mm. but if we buy, then we know that we've got a business we need to move forward with. So we started there. So we got a ton of people to do it. They are all in and that's great. So that was an example of like our big first four week push. And there were some details under that, right? We had to get the website up. We had to get the platform kind of in a place that made sense. We had to decide our marketing. So we're like, okay, check, that works. Now, the next question becomes, well, now that we've built it and we know that we should move in that direction, can we get new people to engage with us? Not buy yet. We're not open for new members until June 16th, but can we get them to do that? So now we've started for the next four weeks have been about building the content, building the platform. So probably getting a little in the weeds, but I think you get the point. Sure. We broke it down to say, what's the first step we need to accomplish and what's a data point that will tell us whether we should move forward. And I think as leaders and business owners, what really matters is objective data points that actually give you the information you need. Um, and that was one because we knew if nobody bought, then we needed to do something differently. Like that next four weeks would have been different. So we're still moving from A to Z, but how we get there is all about this route that those four weeks take us on. Sure. Oh, thank you so much. That was great. Thanks for taking us inside and, and really showing us how it, uh, how it works. That's terrific. You know, it's funny. I've found that this whole, the, the situation, the chaos that we're in right now, when we look back on this five years from now, we may be saying to ourselves, this was a blessing in disguise because now we've got a gun to our head. And as you know, as as business owners, we want the same or better revenue targets than we had at the beginning of this whole thing. But we yeah. got to figure out a completely different way to do it. And right. what will what will come from this will be new revenue streams, and we may be able to go back to our old revenue streams in some way. So we will have a business that is more diverse. 
but it's so hard when you're inside the situation to look at it that way. So talk about how right now we're forced to do this. How do we, what's the self-talk we need? What's the mental preparation we need to make this situation happen when there is no you know, global pandemic that's forcing us to do this? Yeah, and the reality, Dave, right, is, and I think you know this, and your listeners do too, is we are not going back to things the way they used to be. So, so that's the reality. So, so let me give you uh, an example from a mastermind. So I, I'm in a couple of masterminds and um, I just had this the other, yesterday. So it's a little bit raw. So bear with me as I fumble over some of it, but there's six of us on our five of us on the call and we're going through where we're, we're, what we're, what we're doing. And one of them starts with, I don't love her. She's a speaker. I don't love virtual. This is not my jam. I'm just going to wait it out. I haven't done anything. I'm just not that interested. I'm like, I just, I need things to go back to the way they were. Mm. So that was her. Then another person said, I need to pivot, but I don't know what to do or where to go. So I'm going slowly. And then I gave my spiel, which of I'm in the middle of it. I'm in an innovation cycle, ah, right? So, but, but, and I'm not saying that to brag about my perspective versus theirs, but I think you see in the three of our, our mental models of the world, you've got one who sees zero opportunity in what's happening and is just going to wait it out. And the reality is in the events and hospitality in that world, that's going to take a long time and even longer than other industries, right? So she's not going to get anywhere. And I, I don't know what to say about that. And then the one in the middle is trying, but doesn't have the tools to do it. And is like a little bit of like, I, I need someone to help me, right? So the reason I bring that up is I think our mental models frame the opportunities and how we see them. There is unbelievable opportunity in what's happening. And, but we have to be open to seeing it and shifting and going after it. And I think oftentimes the challenge is not that the opportunity is not there, it's that we don't see it. There's this restaurant in my neighborhood that I love and you know, restaurants have really struggled. And um, a lot of them have gone to, to, to go take out options and that's fine, but I think we all know that doesn't pay the bills for them and it doesn't really serve the community that great. This restaurant realized, oh, I'm in a community of families. So I got two boys, they're 11 and 15, and they eat me out of house and home. I'm sure. I don't need to spend all my money on to-go orders. My my financial situation is as good as it was four months ago, right? So I don't want to spend all my money on to-go. So they did something brilliant. They saw the opportunity. They said, oh my gosh, we'll do our takeout. We're also gonna create meal kits for people like Tamara who are making five meals a day for her family where she only had to make one, maybe two in the past. Right. Brilliant opportunity on their part. Absolutely brilliant. So your question was kind of around mental, like what we say to ourselves. I think we have to have a mental model of opportunity that says, how can I leverage this? How can I use this? Where's the opportunity? Where, where can I head that's gonna be advantageous to me and the people that I serve? It is there for all of us, but we have to find it. And I will just, I will just say this shift that we have made has been the best thing for our business. It's allowed us to scale across the globe in a way that we had not been able to do before. Um, but you got to see the opportunities and you have to have that mental model that says they're there. They're somewhere. I just have to find them. Great. All right. So innovation is everybody's business, right? That means that you have to be open to listening and willing to accept ideas from everybody, okay? Mm -hmm. So talk to me about how there are ideas that are hitting us in the head every day that we're just, we're just missing. 
They're just bouncing off of us yeah. like we've got armor on. How do we open ourselves up so that we become more receptive to the ideas that could be coming from a frontline employee or our best customer or somebody from the outside who comes in and goes, why that? Why not this? And then you go, oh my God, why not? So how do we open ourselves up? What do I need to do? Yeah. What, what can I do to make myself more receptive? So I've got two simple questions that I want all of us to just keep in the back of our heads that will keep your, what I call antennas up. Cause I think it's all, like you said, it's there, but our antennas are down, right? So we're not seeing it. So the first question, if you're that leader and someone on the front line comes to you and goes, what about this? And you know, our first response is like, mm, no. like you don't know what you're talking about. I, mm. I want you to ask a question back, which is tell me more about that. What makes okay. you think that, right? Just tell me more. Here's what it does. It does two things. One is it shuts up your lizard brain. It's like, don't listen to anything new. And it gives them a chance to explain and for you to see the value. I think all too often when someone comes to us, uh, comes to us with an idea, we shut it down and then we stop. Like we don't even explore it. So just give yourself a chance. Maybe it's going to be good. Maybe it's not. But tell me more. Like it's so freaking simple, but we don't spend mm. the time. We just shut down. I will tell you the president of Cinnabon, um, Kat Cole, I think she's now president of the head, the holding company now, but she, uh, um, when Cinnabon was flat with sales, she did a tour across the country. She meets one part-time cashier in a mall in the middle of America who says, I think it's down because people don't have time to eat a Cinnabon. Like nobody sits at the mall to eat and Cinnabons are so big. Like you need a whole table, right? Just for your Cinnabon. He said, what if we put it in a box and made it sticks? That was a part-time cashier at a billion dollar company, but she was smart enough to pay attention and it right. led to 30% of sales, right? Of their bottom line. So it, wow, it's it great. Fixed them. So that's one. The second thing is, and I'm going to share this story very quick. I go in depth in the book. One night I was out at a dive bar in Denver for my friend's 40th birthday. We're celebrating. And this pack of people in Snuggies come in. Do you remember what a Snuggie is? Yeah, right? sure. Yeah, yeah. Some of us own them and are too embarrassed to admit it. Let's just call it. I've got, I've got a couple around here somewhere. Yeah. yeah we have one. I own one. I'll own it. It's got skulls on it. It's cool. But this pack comes in and I'm like, what is happening? Like they're all dressed up. They've got belts and jewelry. And I say to him, I said, what are you, what are you guys doing? And they explained to me, it's a snuggy bar crawl. I mean, he was drunk. So it was like, woo. But I was like, what is happening? So what I realized that night is I have one of those moments that makes you go, what? Like, what is happening? And instead of shutting down and shrugging and walking away, which is what we normally do, I just thought, huh, how does this apply to my world? Like what in this trend that's sweeping the country, they were happening all over that one winter, how can I apply that to my world? And that one little question and keeping that question open, when you are out in the world, you will be so much more receptive to new ideas. So seeing that Snuggie bar crawl led me to a marketing idea in our business where we created these t-shirts where you literally wear creativity on your sleeve and they have these different oh, nice. patterns. They were wildly successful. But that's because when I saw the Snuggie, I was like, huh, how does that apply to my world? Everything it, that we see does in some way. So tell me more about that. When people come up to you, give it a chance. And when you're out in the world, just how do I apply that to my world? Just keep asking yourself that. Yeah, that's great. So years ago, I worked for Marriott and there was a story about Mr. Marriott going to Hertz and renting a car at Hertz and seeing his name on the board and just going and grabbing his keys and leaving and not having any interaction with anybody and being in and out like that. That's where express checking came from and the elite members being able to walk 
front desk and grab yeah. their packets because he said, hey, if Hertz can do it with cars, certainly we can do it with hotel rooms. I mean, why are we, you know, if they want that experience, how do we provide that for them? And for me, that's the thing that I like to think about all the time. And maybe you can help us with this. You know, there's three aspects to every business, right? There's a product, there's a service, and there's an experience. And yes. the area that we tend to innovate the least, in my opinion, is on the experience side. So how do we think experience first and innovation? What do we need to do in order to put ourselves in the mindset where we're thinking about the experience? So um, I quote this woman, Marjorie Burnham, in my book, and she runs a customer service, customer experience association, the largest in the U.S., and she said to me something I thought was brilliant that I've never forgotten. She said, you're only as good as your customer's last experience. Mm -hmm. So if I, Dave, have this phenomenal experience with you on the podcast that's smooth, and then I go try to buy something online and it's not as smooth, I'm actually comparing it to you. So everything we do is compared to every other business. Might seem a little bit unfair, but that's the reality. That's why Amazon's one click is killing everybody because now we all have to figure out one click you know, frictionless experience, right? Because right. it doesn't matter that I'm engaging with you to get coffee or you to do my technology upgrades, I'm still comparing you to Amazon. So here's an exercise that I love to do in my business that has opened up my eyes and actually gives a little bit of that naive perspective that we were talking about. It's really hard for us as humans to just go, okay, I've got all these experience, experiences, how do I innovate here? So here's what I love to do, and I think this relates to the experience side more than anything else. I like to say, okay, well, how would Amazon solve this challenge? How would Zappos do it? Like whatever your favorite is, how would Tough right. Mudder do it? How would CrossFit do it? Like whatever is, whatever floats your boat in your world and you know is an innovative company, I like to pretend like they own my business. Like let's say to tomorrow, um, Southwest Airlines decided to launch an innovation company. How would they do it? How would they deliver the experience? Here's what I find with, with people. If I just launch into like, how do you innovate in customer experience? People tend to go blank because they're chained by their perspective and what they already know and what you do in the industry. But if I play this little fun exercise of, let's start by just pretending we're these companies, Patagonia, Chipotle, like whatever, right? Whatever you love. And then play and then pull out from there what works in your business. It is amazing the innovation that comes out of it. Great. I love it. Okay. Tell us about the book. Tell us about where we can get it and tell us about the assessment that's uh, a part of the book, how you developed it and why we need it. Yeah. So innovation is everybody's business. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all those places. You can get bulk order or team orders on our website um, as well. If you have a team, which I highly encourage because getting everybody on board to like having that same definition and clarity around innovation is so important. So the book kind of leads over to the assessment. So um, early on in my career, I got really obsessed with how we as humans innovate. I had an experience that I talk about in the book that kind of made me realize that it isn't just the people with the cool titles and the purple streaks in their hair that innovate. It's actually all of us. And that set me down a path to really understand the neuroscience, behavior psychology of it all to really dig in. And, you know, I had this one pivotal moment years ago now where a woman, I was, I was doing a keynote. And I was pontificating about these big innovation concepts, right? Like 20% free time and, you know, I don't know, whatever. And this woman came up to me after and she said, Tamara, this is all great, but how does this apply to me? And in my head, I'm thinking, well, it applies to me because you're innovative. But she didn't get that. And rightfully so. 
So this book and the assessment was our way of pulling all that science and all that knowledge that we had and making innovation real and tangible for everybody. And what we've discovered when people take the assessment is they get the report of their style of innovation. There's these nine triggers. We call them triggers because it's how it activates innovation. And we all have this combination of two power triggers, like our wellspring of innovation, and one dormant. We call it an everyday innovator style. We, it's unique. Our brains are unique, just like our thumbprints. No two are the same. But what's cool about it, Dave, is that when people get the report, the data in front of them, they're like, oh, oh, I do do that. You're right. I am innovative. People who you would never expect. And by the way, I work with like internal auditors who do process assessment and project managers and sales and mark. Like, this is not just the people in the innovation skunk works teams. In fact, they're not the ones I tend to work with. So I think having that, having that um, understanding of how you innovate allows you to A, step up into it, acknowledge it, add value in a way that's unique to you and contribute, and then be more intentional about innovation. The brain's not a muscle, but in this way, it works like one. The less we use it, the weaker it is. The more we use it, the stronger it is. Most of us don't feel innovative because we've shoved it in a drawer and it's collected dust, not because we can't do it. Perfect. Okay, Tamara Gandor, uh, well, I, um, I could talk to you for an hour because this is just so interesting, but I want to be respectful of your time. So the final question that I have for you is, what is the, the one big thing, the one really big thing that you see coming out of the, the current situation? Because you're, you're right in the middle of it. I'm in the middle of it. The people who are listening and watching are in the middle of it. What's gonna, you know, and, and there's, there's no right or wrong answer, but yeah. somebody who's an expert on innovation certainly can, can help us think through this. What's the one big thing that's gonna come from this entire uh, whole system and process revolution that we're going through right now? So there's this plant called a fireweed that only comes up after major fires where forests are burned down and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful and it is the um, sign of rebirth. Here's what I'd say. Uh, the world has changed, and I think we're in the middle of the earthquake still happening, and at some point that part of it will stop and we'll feel a little bit more stable. I, it's so hard to say at every turn, I think this is the week, we're finally stable, and then something else happens, and I'm like, never mind. Um, but, but here's the thing I'd say about that. The future is uncertain, and change is just right now happening, but in that is the opportunity to create your own future. So I guess my one big thing coming out of this is a little bit of what you talked about earlier, which is, yes, things are off kilter right now and will be for a long time. We're not going back to the way it was, so you might as well create the future that you want because that's not happening anymore. So it's on all of us to decide how to move the future forward. I think we're in a unique position that we haven't been in, God, I mean, in my lifetime and I'm 47, where we get to decide, really decide what the future looks like. And I think if we all do that, we can make a huge impact in our world, in our community, in our businesses, and the people we employ and the customers we serve. And that's the part that I actually find really exciting. All right, so everyone listening and watching, Tamara Gandor has given you a giant permission slip to go out there and make your business what you always wanted it to be. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, you got, if, you, if you have to change everything, you might as well make it fit you. It has been such a pleasure, Tamara. Thank you for joining us. The name of the book is Innovation is Everybody's Business. It's on Amazon right now. Tamara, what's your website where people can find you? Go to launchtree.com, all one word, G-O-T-O, launchtree.com. So everything, the tribe that you can join is there. The book is there. My stuff is there. It's all there. 
All right. It has been great having you on the show. Thanks for joining us, folks. We are inside BS learning about innovation today with Tamara Gandor. Go to, go to, go to Launch Street. So G-O-T-O launchstreet.com all together. The information is all in the show notes. Tamara Gandor, thanks for being my guest today. It's been awesome having you with us. That'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS Show. My guest today was Tamara Gandor, the author, the podcaster, and the keynote speaker. You can look for her brand new book, Innovation is Everybody's Business Everywhere. I want you to go out and buy a copy of the book and buy one for your friends. Tamara, thanks for joining us today. And until next time, we'll see you right back here on the Inside.